Well, tonight uh, is our final night in the month, and that, so that means we're in our big question series. The, the last Sunday night of the month, we try to ask a big question, uh, and so tonight we're talking about uh, the subject of church and what should the church really be like. Uh, and so I'm going to invite you to come with me to Acts chapter 11 tonight. Uh, you know that we've been making our way through Romans. We have been in a series in Romans, uh, but here this evening we're into Acts, and so Nigel's going to help us think about this subject in just a few moments' time, but Acts chapter 11 tonight, as we think about the church, uh, and we're going to read from verse 19 through to 30. So that's Acts chapter 11. If you're using one of our, our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1105. So remember our big question, what should the church really be like? Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up through the Spirit and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us. Well, it's just lovely to be together to praise God this evening and to think about this subject, what should the church be like? What should the church be like? Maybe you're a student, maybe you're a young person involved in Relate, and sometime before too long, you'll find yourself going to college, and you'll be uh, looking for a church to attend whenever you're there. What should you be looking for? Maybe you'll find yourself moving to a new part of the country, and you'll be looking to join a new church. What, what is it that will rank high on your priorities as you engage in that process? Maybe you're here for the first time, and, and you're looking for a church 
uh, to, to join, and, and you're, you're asking the question, how should I think as I try to make that decision? Maybe you're listening online or thinking about that. Maybe you're a regular here, and you're, you're asking the question, and hopefully we're all asking the question is tonight, what is it we should be striving for as, and prioritizing as we come together as a church family? What should church be like? Well, I hope we're going to answer that question tonight in some way, and we're going to do so with the help of Francis Schaefer. Uh, I've been on sabbatical, and I've had an opportunity to study the life and the writings of Francis Schaefer. I said a little bit about him last week, but he, he was an American missionary who came to Europe after the Second World War, born in 1912, died in 1984, and he founded a community in the Swiss Alps. And a large number of people became Christians through his work. A large number of Christians were helped through his work. And he was pretty influential, really, in shaping a lot of Christian thinking in the later part of the last century. One of the things that he did was he spoke at the first Lausanne Conference. Now, what happened in 1974 was that Billy Graham and a number of other uh, Christian leaders at the time called for church leaders to come together in a conference to think about world evangelization, the task that remained for the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Billy Graham organized it. John Stott was influential in it. And it, as a movement, has been quite influential. And, and Schaefer spoke at that conference, and he talked about what the church should be like as we thought about mission. And as I have had the opportunity to read some of the stuff that he's written and listen to some of the stuff that he said, uh, this has been one of the things that has been most helpful to me. And largely what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to really regurgitate it for you. I'm sort of just uh, uh, maybe editing a, a little bit and putting it into uh, terms that maybe are uh, more relevant for Hill Street as far as being able to grasp it is concerned. Uh, what, what he said was, if if the church is to be what God intended. There are to be, as he called it, two contents and two realities. So here we've got a little diagram. Uh, two contents and two realities. You see the two contents, they're sort of, you might want to say, two foundations. Sound doctrine and honest answers are the two contents. And the two realities, we might say two experiences that we need to treasure, true spirituality and beautiful relationships. Those are the, the, the four things that he talked about, two contents and two realities. We want to just think about them for a moment or two. First of all, the first content, first foundation, solid, uh, sound doctrine. I was chatting to somebody recently who'd bought a, an old house, not, not actually even in this country. It was somewhere else where uh, houses were built of timber framed. And, and, and uh, they started to do some basic renovations. They, they moved into the house for a while, lived in it, and then they started to gather up some money and do some renovations. And, and a floor had to come up, and they realized that half of the house had no foundations at all. It was just sitting on a couple of slates on the soil, and they realized that they had a huge job ahead of them, and they had a, a long and, and costly uh, piece of work to do. Any construction needs as we know, a good foundation. And the Bible says that the church is to be built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. In other words, there is a body of truth. There is such a thing as sound doctrine, as Christian truth, that is to be the foundation of the church and of our lives if we are Christians. We, we might think of it as largely the Word of God because that is what, where the, 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 the truth comes from. It's how it is taught 
and we can think of it as, as Christian truth. Schaefer said it, we should think of it as a system, a, a sort of an interlocking a understanding of, of what is true as far as God and ourselves are concerned. This is what he said. There, there is truth, and we must hold that truth. There will be borderline things in which we have differences among ourselves. Remember, he was speaking to people who were coming from all sorts of different uh, backgrounds. But on the central issues, there must be no compromise. Now, if there is such a thing as truth, then it follows that there is such a thing as untruth or error. And there are things that we must say, if this is true, then that is false. If this is to be embraced, then that is to be rejected. And Schaefer was, was quick enough to do that at times. And we've got to be quick enough to do that as well today. There are going to be things that you hear that are simply lies, that you're going to say, well, if, if God is God and He has told us this, then that is, is to be rejected entirely and not to be in my thinking. Now, one of the implications of that is that whenever we reach out with the good news to people, if you've got friends that you're trying to share the gospel with, there needs to be content in our evangelism. We're not just saying to people, come to Christ. We are saying that, but we're saying more than that. We need to tell them we need to start further back. We need to tell them of the God who has made them, of the fact that they're separated from God because they are moral beings in God's universe, and, and they have sinned against Him. We have sinned against Him. The fact that that means that we are separated from God because of our sin. We need to tell people about what then Jesus has done to pay for that sin. And, and in many ways, people start even further back with in our day and generation than they did even in Schaefer's day and generation. And if you're Christianity Explored tomorrow night, you'll see that, that as part of our saying to people, here's what Jesus says, and this is what this means for you, we will also be saying, you are someone who's been created by God and, and, and filling out that whole sort of backstory. Schaefer was also quick to point out that this commitment to truth is not just in the abstract. It's not just a belief in a load of theories. It's got to be practice. We've got to live in the light of what we believe. And interestingly, he identified two audiences for that. He identified the, the watching world, but also he identified our children. Because both the watching world and our children will fail to be convinced of the truth if they see us not taking it seriously enough to live it out. So there are things that we do just because we follow Jesus. And there are things that we don't do just because we follow Jesus. It's, it's the implications of, of the truth. So in other words, a key element of what we want the church to be is that we believe the Bible, and we believe what the Bible teaches. And we talk a lot about what the Bible teaches, and then we live out what the Bible teaches. And we often say here, we, we try to say we can't do better than the Bible. We just can't. We're, we're under it. We're not over it. We're not sitting in judgment on it. It's sitting in judgment on us. We measure the world and ourselves against it. And so the normal thing that you should expect whenever you come to Hill Street is that somebody opens the Bible and says, look, this is what it says and this is what it means. We're doing that at a pretty high level, a sort of a, a summation tonight. But normally, that's what we, we want to do. We want to say, here's what it says. Here's what it means. Let's go and live it. So, so there's the first content. And if you're looking for a church, one of the things that you've got to ask is, 
is, is this church true to what Christian truth is? Is it true to what the Bible says? Sound doctrine. Second one, honest answers to honest questions. If Christianity is true, it can handle questions. If Christianity is true, it can handle questions. And the questions can uh, find answers in all areas of our lives. So, so if you've, you've ever played Trivial Pursuit, you know you've got those little cheeses with all the little um, uh, pieces of the pie or cheese, whatever they are, uh, cheeses, uh, and, and sections of cheese. So, Christianity is not like one section of the cheese. It's not like one piece of pie that doesn't really affect the rest of the pie. It's more like the, the hub of a wheel from which all the speak, spokes go out. In other words, your, your, your ambitions, your politics, your relationships, your sexuality, your uh, 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 attitude to money, your, your speech, all of these things, all impacted by Christianity. And therefore, Christianity has answers to give for questions in all of these areas, in every area of life. Whenever we look at the ministry of Paul and of Jesus, we find them proclaiming the truth, and we find people asking them questions and them answering questions. Sometimes there was such a thing, of course, as false questions, not honest questions, dishonest questions. A question that was trying to trap or divert Jesus faced a lot of that, we know. But, but lots of people have honest questions because they're finding that the questions that they are asking the world are not finding answers. The cries of their hearts are not being satisfied by the world that we live in because the world cannot give us value and meaning and truth and morality. And yet God in His Word answers all of these. And so one of the things that we want to try to do here is make clear that the Bible is for all of life and addresses all of life and speaks to the questions of this world. Now, it's really, really hard to do that. We need to work hard at listening, and then we need to work hard at understanding what the Bible says and how it brings the answer to that question. But, but if we're doing that well, I hope that here would be one of your experiences if you're here regularly at Hill Street, that, that you would go out into your workplace you're going into a, a classroom or a, a staff room or a, or a, a, a work a canteen or, or a social setting, and there's that conversation that happens as the news headlines come up and people start saying about this or that or whatever, and you begin to feel equipped to contribute to that conversation and to do so from a Christian point of view. Why? Because here we've opened the Bible and we've said, look, this is what the Bible says. And you know that thing that's going on in the news now? That's why this is important, that you'll start to feel equipped. And also something that we hope will happen is that you'll sit there and you'll say, as you, as you hear some of the things that we talk about, you'll begin to hear uh, things that you wish your friend heard. You'll have that conversation in the work canteen, and, and, and you'll think, do you know what? I was talking to, to Julia about that this week. Uh, wouldn't it be great if she'd been here? And then maybe next week you'll bring her. Because we believe that what we have here is not just something for, for people who have a niche interest, but speaks to all of life. I mentioned uh, John Stott earlier. He was involved in Lausanne at this time. He and Schaefer knew each other. Schaefer, or uh, Stott, 
coined the phrase double listening. You've maybe heard that before. He said that the task of us as Christians, if we're Christians, is to listen to the Scriptures, to hear the Word of God in the Scriptures, and then to listen to the world, not in the same way, but to listen for the cries of the heart of the world so that we would know how to bring the Word of God to bear to the cries of the world, double listening. And Schaefer said, it is compassion that drives us to answer the questions of the world. And it means we've got to listen. We've got to listen well. And we don't want to just throw out pat answers or, or answers to questions that were asked <clears throat> 40 years ago and aren't being asked today. And that's where you've got to help old guys like me because I'm not down with the youth. Uh, uh, and and, and uh, you, you've got to tell me what the cries of, of the, the world are, of the world that you're living. And I maybe know what the cries of a 54-year-old are. I'm not sure I know what the cries of a 22-year-old are. Answers are not salvation. We're going to give answers we trust. It's not the same. Having, having someone understand what Christianity says is not the same as bowing before it, but it is important nonetheless. And let me say this as well whenever we think about about asking questions. Whenever Shea talked about honest answers to honest questions, he was really thinking of the questions of the unbeliever. But one of the things that, that really saddened me whenever I went to Labrie was I found some young people there. And, and you know, we were sitting around at the lunch table and people are saying, you know, why is it you're coming to Labrie? What, what are you here for? And uh, not, not, not a few of them said something like this. Well, you know, I've been a Christian for quite a long time, but I've got these questions about my faith, and I don't really feel confident to ask my pastor about them or anybody in my church. They would just say, oh, oh forget asking those questions. Just, just believe it. And so I've come here to find some answers. And I thought, how sad that you've got to travel across the world to find someone who will say, that's a good question. Let, let's, let's think about it together. If you've got questions like that, I don't want you to have to travel outside of Hill Street to have them answered. We, we might not have those answers immediately, but we'll try to work together to see what the Bible says and to find some answers for the questions that we have. Because you know what? Jesus does not welcome us on the basis of having all of our dots, no, I's dotted and T's crossed. He doesn't welcome us on the basis of having everything understood and neatly set out in little boxes. And so we're free to say, I don't really get this, help me with this. Because he welcomes us on the basis of his grace and not on the basis of our performance. So you can see that truth matters, and Schaefer points out that whenever we come across ideas, it's the truth that we really must consider, not how this idea makes me feel, not, not how uh, anything else about it sort of attracts me or dis, uh, discourages me, but does this match up with what the Bible says? So the truth really, really matters. So two contents, sound doctrine and honest answers to honest questions. If you're part of a church that, that is the way we think it's supposed to be, you, you should find that, that there's a real commitment to sound doctrine and a real co commitment to answering the questions that 
people like us and fallen people are asking. Okay, two realities then, two realities. True spirituality, true spirituality. I said a little about this last Sunday morning. When Schaefer had been in Switzerland for about, I think it was about 10 years or so, he'd been a pastor and a missionary for, for about 10 years. He had a crisis. He, he was concerned that uh, he saw so little, as he talked about, reality in his life and in the life of those he was around. And, and he spent a couple of months thinking all of this through. He once said to his wife, I, I, I don't know where this is going to take me, but if, if I wrestle with this and find out that I don't believe in Christianity anymore, we're just going to pack up and go back to the States, and I'm going to do a job completely different than this. That's how committed he was to making sure that he really believed it. And so she prayed for him. She didn't know what was going to happen. She prayed for him. He walked and thought and prayed. And, uh, and eventually he came through to a place where he was more convinced than ever of the truth of Christianity, but he was also determined to live in the light of that. And he felt at times, and, and John led us in, in repentance for, for this very thing earlier as we prayed, but he felt at times that he was living his life in an entirely natural way, just, just sort of not a supernatural way, just a sort of a natural way, relying on his own resources as if God was very, very distant and not involved in his everyday life. He once asked his wife, Edith, what if all the references to prayer and the Holy Spirit were removed from the Bible? Would it make any difference to our lives? It's an interesting question. In other words, he was just thinking, I, I'm, I, am I living in a prayerful dependence with God moment by moment? That was one of his big phrases. A, a, a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, or are we just going through life living rationally as if we sort of check in with God on a Sunday for an hour or two. And he wanted something very, very different than that cold and prayerless self-reliance. And so he said this, I discovered the meaning of the work of Christ, the meaning of the blood of Christ, moment by moment in our lives after we are Christians. The moment by moment work of the whole Trinity in our lives because as Christians we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That is true spirituality this reality to his Christian life. This has challenged me. It showed itself in a lively prayer life that sought to maintain a conversation with God moment by moment. It showed itself in a prayer life that asked for big things that would have been impossible to explain without the reality of God answering prayer. And so they never asked for funds, for example, and there were countless stories of, of money coming at the last minute whenever the mortgage was due or the, the food bill had come in or whatever it was just when they needed it. You'll notice in, in Schaefer's quote there, there's a reference to the blood of Christ. And by this, of course, he means the death of Christ on the cross for us and all that flows from that. The fact that he's forgiven, the fact that he's welcomed, the fact that he has a right standing with God, and he's living in the moment-by-moment -moment reality of that. So it's the very opposite of a dead orthodoxy. You know it's possible to, to believe all the right things, but hardly be on speaking terms with God. That's not true spirituality. That's not God's plan for your life. A moment-by-moment -moment living relationship with the God who is there by His Spirit, 
because of the work of his son. True spirituality. And then the last thing, beautiful relationships. One of the key places in which the truth of Christianity is to work out is in relationships. So far, we could just about do all of this stuff with a podcast, couldn't we? We could write a letter to each other and say, here's what you've got to believe. Here are the answers to the questions. Here's how you maintain a lively Christian life. But beautiful relationships are part of God's plan for His people. Our, all people are made in the image of God, and that's going to affect how we treat them. We might, as Schaefer said, only have 10 seconds with them in a doorway, or we might be distant from them at a junction where there's a red light. But we want to leave people thinking, that person treated me well. Did the person at the roundabout, at the bottom of the flush places, you cut through it tonight, think, that person treated me well. Indicate it. Bugbear of mine, sorry. But, but you know, it... it, it it may not be that we're consciously reminding ourselves that, that every person is a creature in God's image, but we, we need to have that truth so ground into us that every time we see a person, that's how we react. Then that's with those who are not believers, but with believers, then the beauty of relationships should be, as Schaefer said, 10,000 times 10,000 more. He says there should be something so beautiful about how Christians get on with one another and are with one another that the world stops. It's brought up short. Now, of course, whenever we look at the Bible, we see this constant emphasis on, on the reality of this and the purpose of this. You know, all of those one another statements, uh, love one another, bear with one another, serve one another, honor one another, and so on and so on and so on. And these are calls for the church to do the things that produce beautiful relationships. And we say it so often that this is not like a cinema. You know, you're not going to see Barbie for all sorts of reasons. You're not going to see Barbie, okay? We're not like that at all. You're not going in to see Barbie and to, to, to sit down with no contact with the people around you, except maybe a, a passing glance as you go out the door. It's not like that. It's a family where you come together and you find it's your brothers and sisters that you're with. Now, Schaefer, this is why we read this, Schaefer highlighted the church at Antioch. He said it was his favorite church in the New Testament. And there is something very special that happens at Antioch. Antioch's about 250 miles from Jerusalem. It's in Syria. And whenever the opposition grew against the, the believers in Jerusalem, some people were, were scattered, and they began to preach the gospel to the people that they went to. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, that, that here are these believers, uh, and they're so thrilled with what they've found in Jesus that that even though the pressure of persecution comes into their lives, as they're scattered out, they begin to tell other people about it. They, they, they don't say, well, hey, I believe this stuff, but look at how badly my life has gone. I'll just not bring anybody else into this. 
Now, they say, this is so special, I'm going to tell other people. But, of course, the big division in the world at that time was between Jew and Gentile. And so, some of them went and just told other Jews, people like them. But others were so overflowing with the joy of the Lord, and they believed it was relevant to all people, people like us who are not Jews, most of us, I'm sure, that they told those who were Gentiles. And what do you know? The Lord blessed that marvelously. Many people became Christians, and a church was formed at Antioch. And now you have this church fellowship at Antioch that is, is made up of people from a Jewish background and people from a, from a Gentile background, the biggest division in the world at the time, and it has been bridged by the gospel. And you've got people who wouldn't have even made eye contact with each other, and now they're sharing the same pew. They're eating together. They're, they're, they're talking about what a wonderful work God has done in their lives. And Jerusalem heard about it. They sent Barnabas down to see what was going on. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and he was incredibly encouraged with what had happened, and, and through him, many others turned to the Lord. So, so here's this church. It's just booming. There's lots of people becoming Christians from all these different backgrounds, and it's becoming marked by beautiful relationships, and we can see that here because the, the, there are all sorts of social divisions that are being crossed here. In Acts 13, just a couple of chapters on from what we read, we see some of the leadership of the people listed. And there are those who come from the top levels of society, those who'd been hanging out with Herod. They'd come from the palace, as it were. And like any church in the New Testament, there would have been plenty of slaves around, those right at the bottom of the social strata. So, the gospel has has done this work in a, in a very, very short period of time, and it has brought together people from the highest levels of society and from the bottom levels of society. It's not a working-class church. It's not a middle-class church. It's a church. And, the, and there's a man, not only that, there's a man called Simeon who is called Niger. And the scholars conclude that he's a black man. And so the gospel has, descended, has transcended racial divisions, it's a church that, that, that loves mission. It gets together and it prays and it believes that, that the Holy Spirit is leading them to send off Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. And so they do that. And it's full of practical concern. They believe there's going to be a famine in Judea. And so they have an offering and they send money off to support brothers and sisters that they have never met and never will. These beautiful relationships are present. You see? And Schaefer says, this is what enabled the first century church in the first century to spread across the world from the Indus River in India to Spain because it's so unique and special. Now, I hope all of this sounds familiar to you. Two contents, two realities, sound doctrine, honest answers, true spirituality, beautiful relationships. Schaefer talks about an orthodoxy of a... Of, of a doctrine and an orthodoxy of community. He talks about these two things together. And I hope if you've been around Hill Street, certainly if you've been through a membership class, this is not altogether unfamiliar to you because we've, spoke about, we've spoken about gospel doctrine and gospel culture. 
That's really what this is. Ray Ortland was hugely influenced by Schaefer, and he brought these two things together. He talked about gospel doctrine and gospel culture. And I hope that you, you see these things are, are, are things that, that actually are not just decided in a session meeting, here are the values of Hill Street. But these are things that either we support or we erode by our actions, every one of us, okay? So the question is, are we, are we supporting and growing these things within the life of our church or if you're visiting with us, whatever church you belong to? Because as we, as we hunger for God's Word together and put it into practice, we are helping us become more and more a church that anchors itself on sound doctrine. Let me tell you, it's a lot easier to preach here when we know people are saying something like, we hope people are saying something like, open the Bible and teach us. Because we could go to churches where people are saying, close the Bible and let us go home. And then as we pray for those who teach in our ministries, wherever, we're doing the same. And then as we seek to apply the gospel to every area of our lives, we are paying testimonies to the fact that we believe that the, gospel, that the Bible gives honest answers to honest questions. And then as we strive with our experiences to, to live in the moment-by-moment -moment awareness of the reality of God in our lives, we're contributing to our belief in the necessity of true spirituality. And here's the thing. As we move towards each other and not away from each other, as we move towards each other, we are helping build beautiful relationships. They're messy. They're inconvenient. Sometimes it's just easier to go home and watch Netflix. But this is what the church is. And this is what we're called to. In some ways, it's really, really simple, isn't it? But it's all too rare. We know of churches where there are one or two of these things and the others are missing. And yet, surely what the Bible calls us to is that they're all together. So, friends, I think this is what the church is to be like. It's what just made my heart sing as I read it from Schaefer. And if, if you're looking for a church, I think this is a grid, as it were, to help you evaluate what goes on. Don't, don't make your decisions about how a church feels. It'll feel different next time you're there. Pay more attention to what a church is committed to. And, and this is what we want to be committed to here. We don't want to be lopsided in our experience of gospel doctrine or gospel culture. We want to be committed to the doctrine, and we want to work together to create the culture. Schaefer finishes by this, <clears throat> this, this quote, beautiful. He says, when there are the two contents and the two realities, we will begin to see something profound happen in our generation. I really believe that. Do you believe that? If you commit yourself to sound doctrine and honest answers, if you work at true spirituality and we build beautiful relationships, we will see something profound happen. You up for that? Let's pray together.
Lord, we, we confess together. We see these things in, in, in one hand. We say, great. On the other hand, we're not sure if that's really what we want. We're not sure if we want the cost of it. We're not sure if we really want the Bible to have full authority over our lives, to, to control some of the things that we might want to go in another direction over. We're not super sure, Lord, sometimes if, if we want the Bible to, to permeate every corner of our lives. We're not sure, Lord, if we want to live in the reality of your presence with us day by day. We're not sure if we want to build beautiful relationships. But we pray, Lord, that you will help us to repent of all those ways in which we would want less than what you have for us. And we pray, Lord, that you'll work these things in our hearts, give us a desire for them, and by your grace, may we see them formed, not in a lopsided manner, but equally here. For we pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat>